Welcome to the St. Matt's 6pm podcast, where you can listen to sermons from our evening service. of New Line and Castle Hill Roads with house band New Line Church. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Don't Judge a Book. Please welcome your host, Jason Todd. And the assistant to the regional host, Chris Donald! Yeah, settle down everyone, settle down, settle down, settle down. Good evening ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to episode 2 of Don't Judge Hate Book The Late Show. Jason, we had so much fun last week. It was just an, an incredible evening for us. We had such an overwhelming response from our fans as well, so thank you all so much. If you missed the show last week, we had some really incredible guests on our show. I know, can you believe we had Marg Morgan, Sarah Braga in the flesh, and then not to even mention Mad About Life. What a rapper, what a rap, what a performance! It was incredible. And aside from our guests, we began the most ambitious deep dive into the most ambitious book yet. We are currently digging into the book of Revelation. That's right, Jason. Whether you call it weird or wonderful, <laughs> it's still the Word of God. And it still changes hearts and transforms lives. Now, we'll have some more celebrity guests this evening, some more incredible music and some more meaningful opportunities to connect with our great God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Welcome back. Well, last week, Chris, we started in the book of Revelation. We did, Jason, and to help us frame the series, you gave some really useful advice. You gave seven tips on what we can do personally to get more out of our reading of Revelation. And you know what? It really helped. You actually gave it a shot. I did give it a shot. Hey, nice. As we know, I'm the more reluctant reader of Revelation amongst the two of us. <laughs> uh, but I thought, no, we're, we're, we're doing this deep dive. We're getting into it for Don't Judge a Book. I really need to dig more deeply into Revelation. And so I, I happened to be up the other night between 3 a.m. and 5 a.m. Oh, my poor thing. Dad life. <laughs> and I thought, I'm going to read some Revelation. And I'm going to try and use all of Jason's tips. And so, Jason, for starters, I binged. Mm. I read nine chapters straight. And it was really helpful. Just keep going. I tried to pay attention to Old Testament references. Actually, what I did was I just opened it up on Bible Gateway, the website, uh, and I turned on cross-references and footnotes. And so there was the hyperlink. Every time there was an Old Testament allusion or reference, I could just click on the link and it would immediately bring it up for me and I could read the Old Testament passage and just keep going. So I wasn't flicking back and forth in my Bible. It was beautiful. Uh, That brought out so much more. I tried to keep in mind the structure. I tried to keep in mind the genre. I... I uh, just tried to follow all the advice you gave. I tried especially to remember to be humble, that I wasn't going to understand everything and that was okay. That didn't defeat the purpose of reading. 
And I really have to say that was the most I've ever gotten out of Revelation in one reading. So thanks so much, man. Great job. No worries. Anytime. Yeah. Uh, but now it's time for us to get into the Bible once again to dig into Revelation. And so we're having our first celebrity guest of the evening. She is the proud owner of a manual transmission 2016 Holden Varina Spark. Ladies and gentlemen, Anthea! Not too bad. Thanks very much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. A couple of questions for you. What is the best book you've ever read? Yep, I think I've got to go old school and I'm going Harry Potter. Just the whole series. It's all good. Yeah, perfect. What is the best book you've never read? Yep, I think I'm going to cheat a little on this. I'm going to say the book, the best book I've never finished. Um, it was mentioned last week. It's the, the Cross of Christ by John Stott. Very good very dense and makes me think, you know, I'll read a chapter and think about it for about a month, but um, yep, highly recommend, but hopefully one day I will finish it. <laughs> one day, maybe, yeah. And what is the, your favourite thing about Revelation? Uh, I think my favourite thing about Revelation, uh, a lot of the imagery is so kind of jam-packed and dense, and so it means that um, each time I go back and read it, there's like a new aspect or, or character of, of God that I can like reflect on and think about. So, for example, this week I was rereading chapter one and it talks about um, having uh, blazing eyes and this idea of um, just being so wise and insightful and, and knowing us to the core and that sort of idea. Yeah, excellent. Anthea is going to be reading the Bible for us. So if you're in our studio audience or if you are watching at home, turn to Revelation 5. Thanks, Anthea. Revelation chapter 5, starting from verse 1. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, and ten thousand times ten thousand. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honour and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, 
to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honour and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen, and the elders fell down and worshipped. Jason, I had a random thought this week. Yep. <laughs> Many, but, <laughs> but one in particular I want to share with you now. Uh, I was thinking about how we can read Revelation and how it's kind of similar to another, read, uh, another book we can read. Like the book of Daniel, Ezekiel, Zechariah, other apocalyptic literatures, Chris? Uh, I see what you did there. And now that you say that, that would have made more sense. No, actually, I was thinking how it's kind of like reading a Where's Wally. A Where's Wally. A Where's Wally. Are people familiar with Where's Wally? I think so, yeah. yeah. We might need to do a book overview under duress just to make sure. Another segment of Book Overviews Under Duress. Get him, guys. Jason. Yes. Who wrote Where's Wally? I don't know. Hold on. Martin Hanford. What's the book about? (laughs) Finding Wally. Who is Wally? I don't know. No one does. What do you think he's running from? His own insecurities. Go back. (laughs) That's a good answer. (laughs) Or or your kids jumping on him. Do you think the character of a gentleman adventurer is appropriate in a post-colonial society? I don't know, Chris. (laughs) All right, guys. Any more questions? Yes. What's with the giants? I don't know what the giants. And finally, where is Wally? Oh, is he somewhere? You better find him, man. They're not going to stop. No, no, not in the contest. Where is he? Can you find him? I don't know. I can see him. Quick. Okay, he's there. He's there. That was fun. But what on earth does that have to do with reading Revelation? <laughs> I know, yeah, it does sound random. Uh, why would Where's Wally have anything to do with reading Revelation? Uh, but when you read a Where's Wally, there's so much detail on each page. It's really easy to get lost in the detail of each page and not really make much progress. Or you can approach it differently, just try to find Wally on each page, move forward knowing that there's some detail you can come back to later. So what you're saying is when we read Revelation, there's so much symbolism, so much Old Testament allusions Mm -hmm. that we get sort of lost in the details. And while it's interesting, why are we getting bogged down? Yeah. Uh, And so that's that's basically what I'm saying. I think we don't need to make it too complicated. Mm. There's some things we can just try to get out of it initially. I think a great place to start is to look for Jesus, to ask ourselves what we can learn from Revelation about Jesus. Or more specifically even, what we can learn about the good news of Jesus Christ from Revelation. So today we're going to jump through Revelation and notice things about Jesus and the Gospel. Oh, the Gospel according to Revelation, if you will. Exactly, that's right. The strength of Revelation, I think, is its capacity to reveal for us things that we didn't know. I mean, that's what apocalypse means, right? Revelation, we did that last week, revealing. It reveals for us a spiritual, a heavenly perspective on the physical world that we inhabit. It lets us know that there's more to the story, more to Jesus' story, and because it's more to his story, there's more to our story too. Great. Let's jump into the story then. Uh, The Gospels of Luke and Matthew start with the beginning of Jesus at his birth. Yeah. And I'd love to jump there in a second, but even then, Revelation throws us back further. Hmm. In chapter 1, when John first has this encounter, this vision of Jesus, the risen Lord, Jesus calls himself the first and the last. 
And then if we jump to the last chapter of Revelation, in chapter 22, he calls himself the first and last, the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. He's the first. He's the Alpha. He was at the beginning. He is the beginning. The story of the Son of God doesn't just start at birth or at conception. It begins before time because Christ is Lord. Right, and so... Revelation affirms the Gospel of John when it talks about Jesus being the Word. Uh, when Jesus is called the Word, the one who is with God in the beginning yeah. and through whom everything God created. Yeah, great. Yeah, yeah. So Revelation builds on that. Okay, but let's get back to the birth narrative like you brought up. So in Luke and Matthew, they tell us a bit about the birth of Jesus and it's, in, it's clear in those Gospels that something enormous is happening. When Jesus is born, we see the spiritual breaking in. The heavenly realm is invading earth. But it's like we're just getting glimpses of the spiritual of the heavenly through a window. Whereas when Revelation tells the same story, it's like we're getting the same story but from the other side of the window. Hmm. Matthew focuses on the the political ramifications of Jesus' birth. So King Herod sees Jesus as a threat, as an alternate king, and so he plans to kill all the baby boys of Bethlehem to take out Jesus. God sends an angel to warn Jesus' parents. They escape through the wilderness into Egypt. But there's more to the story. If we go to chapter 12 of Revelation, John has this vision of a pregnant woman about to give birth. Her son is identified as the one who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. It's clearly Jesus. And at the time of his birth, John has this vision also of the great red dragon also named the ancient serpent, the devil, Satan. Verse 4. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. But God rescues the woman and child and after this, a cosmic spiritual war breaks out in heaven. The dragon, Satan, who himself wants to be king and all the fallen angels who follow him his demons. They wage a war against the angelic hosts of the Lord Almighty. And Satan is defeated in that battle. He's cast down to earth where he wages a new war against the followers of the child. And chapter 12, 12 says, he's filled with fury because his time is short. The birth of Jesus is, is told in Revelation to help us get the, the cosmic, heaven-shaking realities. It affects all orders of creation, not just humans, not just us. What about the death and resurrection of Jesus then? How does Revelation help us to understand those events? Yeah, sure. So the physical events of Jesus' death, uh, we're, we're told he's arrested, tried, beaten, stripped, whipped, nailed to a cross, hung up between two criminals making him appear like a common criminal too. It appears mundane. It appears shameful. It appears weak. It appears to be failure, loss, defeat. The scene is so commonplace that to passers-by, it's, it's of no significance. I mean, the Alpha and the Omega hangs there before them. And if they notice him at all, it's just the scorn and laugh at him. But there's more to the story. The Gospels, when they tell the crucifixion, they let us feel the absurdity and just give us a glimpse that something greater is happening. 
But again, Revelation helps us see more fully what's going on. Now, this time, Revelation doesn't give an alternative account. It doesn't recap the events. But through John's heavenly vision, we have a better understanding of the implications of what was happening on the cross. So, I just want to zoom in for a moment into one particular section of Revelation, chapter 4 and 5. So, in chapter 4, John has a vision of the heavenly courts. He sees God on his throne, glorious, powerful, surrounded by worshippers. And at the beginning of chapter 5, God holds out a scroll. And if you check your, your links and you learn your Old Testament in this case, we, we know that the scroll is a representative of God's great plan. How his kingdom is going to come fully into the world at last. But the scroll is sealed up. And John in his vision weeps because he realises that no one is worthy to open the scroll and make God's plan reality. But an angel then comforts John saying, don't weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. The angel says, don't worry, there is one who has triumphed. There is a victor, the descendant of the King David, the lion of Judah. He's talking about Jesus. He's described as a lion, so we think strength, dominance, power. And so John looks around in his vision for the lion. Verse 6. Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing at the centre of the throne. I know, Jason, we talked about this very passage last week, but it's just so important. It's such a powerful image. The conquering lion is a lamb with its throat slit. In the Old Testament, a lamb was sacrificed to win salvation for God's people. Revelation helps us understand Jesus' execution on a cross as a lamb being sacrificed in order to save. What looks like failure on the cross is actually the very moment of victory. He's raised up to be mocked, but he's also raised up to be exalted. There's more to the story. And in chapter 5, the heavenly hosts declare in God's throne room that the Lamb is worthy to open the scroll and bring God's kingdom fully into the world because he was slain. Not in spite of being slain. The angels all shout out together, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honour and glory and praise. Christ is Lord. And then in his resurrection from the dead, he manages to freak out his disciples and <laughs> amaze his disciples. But there's more to the story there too. He doesn't just pull off some cool trick that no one's ever done before. But in that moment of resurrection, he becomes the master of death. In Revelation 1.18, Jesus says that he now holds the keys of death and Hades. His authority is complete. Christ is Lord. So after Jesus is in heaven, having authority, acting as Lord, what is he doing now? We sort of look at our world at the moment. It doesn't really seem like Jesus is in charge. Evil's still thriving. Yeah, for sure. And I guess that's the point of the book, right? That's why John wrote this book, because in John's time, Christians are starting to get persecuted for following Jesus. John knows it's only going to get worse and so he writes to reassure them that Jesus hasn't forgotten them. That despite any appearances to the contrary, Christ is still Lord. 
In Revelation 12:11, we're told that the followers of Jesus will triumph over Satan by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, and because they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death, which is a brutally hardcore. And sometimes it will feel for Christians that they are alone, that it's all too hard, that the church is going to crumble, that everyone around them will fall. But there's more to the story. In the book of Isaiah, we're told that the coming Messiah will come so gently that he won't even break a bruised reed. And that is how he came the first time in gentleness, as a lamb to die for his enemies. But in Revelation, we're told that Jesus is coming back a second time. This is Revelation 19, promising the time when Jesus comes back. I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He's dressed in a robe dipped in blood and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. When Jesus comes back, he comes back as conqueror. And it doesn't matter how we feel about that because that's what's going to happen. When he comes back, he's going to judge and eradicate evil. He's going to cast down the dragon once for all. He's going to set all things right and establish a new heaven and a new earth where there will be no more pain or mourning or crying or death. He was there at the beginning. He'll be there at the end. Christ is Lord. Now, our world tells us different stories about reality, about how things came to be, about how things are, about how they will be. Maybe one day, if humanity hasn't already destroyed itself, the sun's going to burn up and our galaxy's going to collapse and that will be the end. A random beginning followed by random events and a random ending. Or maybe another story is that there, there is a God but no one can really know much about this God. And besides, this God is aloof and indifferent and ineffective anyway, so we don't need to try and know him. But there's more to the story. There's a, a better story. And that story is that the one who created the world continues to work in the world, entered this world, died for this world, and will bring this world to an end on his terms, in justice and establish the new heavens and the new earth where he will reign in glory and righteousness forever and ever. Whatever your views of Jesus without revelation, I'm not sure it's big enough. He is the Alpha and the Omega, beginning and end. Christ is Lord. And because there's more to Jesus' story, there's more to your story too. 
There's more to your story too. I don't know what narratives you've constructed around the events of your life. I don't know how you think your life is going or where you think your life is going. But the Lord of history, the creator of reality, died for you. By his blood, he won your forgiveness, your freedom, your life. And that means no matter how things are going right now, you can be sure that he is deeply invested in you. Nail-pierced hands, kind of invested. Slain lamb, kind of invested. And if you continue to trust in him, I don't know what happens in the middle of your story, but I know the end of your story. Because you'll be with him. And Christ still wins this. Christ is Lord. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. St. Matt's West Bend Hills 6pm Congregation is a collection of people who want to be changed by Jesus to have a deeper connection with God, deeper community with one another and deeper concern for our world. We'd love you to join us on a Sunday soon. For all the details, check out our website at stmatt's.org.au and be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss a sermon.